You're listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one Australian weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. So please do us a favour, listen in on your favourite podcast platform, hit like and subscribe, leave a comment and don't forget to tell your mates about us. On the Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 61 of On the Road. This week, Mike is joined by Mark Reynolds from the National Road Freighters Association to discuss the NTC changes and trucking in general. We hear more from our favourite gut doctor, Vincent Ho, who shares with us everything you'll ever need to know about gastroscopies. Truckies accountant Ben Charles continues with the next instalment of the A to Z of Truckies expenses in Wake the Truck Up. In Something to Talk About, Mike shares his thoughts on the power of song lyrics and why we need to reach out when we're finding life is getting the better of us. All the latest from the newsroom, plus music from Brian Cadd and Nickelback. All this and more right here on the road, so let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24 7. Loads of trucking classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. He's an absolute legend of the Australian music scene and he's kicking off the show for us this week with one of Mike's favourite songs. Here's Brian Cadd and Sure Feels Good.
Today, I've got a bloke with me, Mark Reynolds. Now, Mark is on the board of the National Road Freighters Association, of which I'm proudly a member. And, you know, my mate Trev and Glenn Castanelli and Rod Hannafy are all part of that. They've all been on the show. You've heard them all speak. Mark's volunteered to come on today and have a bit of a chat with us. He's a small fleet owner as well, drives a truck, so he actually knows what he's talking about. He's actually been there on the sharp end and copped some of the nasty stuff along with the rest of us. Last week on the news on the show, I talked about what the NTC were going to do with the changes to the logbook and 12 hours, cutting back hours and all the rest of it. And I called it an epic fail. And obviously they changed their mind and backed out of it on Friday after the show went live. So I'm going to take all the credit for that. Sorry, Glenn Stirl. I read your press release, mate, but I was out first. So Mark is going to have a bit of a chat with us. We're going to talk about it and a bit of other stuff we might want to talk about. And we'll take it from there. Mark, how you going, mate? G'day, Mike. Good to have a chat. I talked the leg off a table. You already know that, so <laughs> that's probably the longest introduction I've ever done, but anyway. All good. Mark, tell us about yourself, mate. You're on the board of the NRFA, obviously been playing around in the backroom part of the industry for a while. You've got some trucks and you run all over the place, so tell the listeners what you do, mate. Uh, yeah, well, I'm running three trucks based out of kind of Toowoomba, the Lockyer Valley area of Queensland drive one of them myself most of the time mm. and I'm also do a lot of work with audit and compliance stuff just helping people with their NHBR audits the WA accreditation setup and COR work yep so I kind of get to see all angles of what's going on in the industry at the moment which is why I had a bit of an opinion on where we were heading with the NTC what they were planning and my opinion is probably slightly different to the way a lot of people thought it was heading so I just thought it'd be good to have a chat about that right eh? well what did you think about it mate I said it was an epic fail I couldn't see how it's possibly going to make any sense and going to be fair. I couldn't see how expecting blokes to work less is going to make anything any better. Yeah, and I think if the assumption that the other associations went with was true, I think you guys would all be 100% on track. Hmm. I simply thought that they were basically looking at another method to try and raise the bar. They're looking at trying to raise the standard to bring everyone up higher. So... It was inferred in a lot of the press releases that I read that this was the first step and that BFM was going to be reduced after that and that we're all going to end up with smaller paychecks, reduced hours, we'd need more trucks. I just can't see how anyone in their right mind would have thought that, like the NTC, I know they often go off track, but I couldn't see that that would be their ultimate plan given the massive freight task ahead of us Mm. and the massive shortage of trucks and drivers that we have. I merely saw it as an opportunity for them to say, if you don't want to be involved with fatigue training, If you don't want to have systems in place where you accurately and consistently manage the fatigue of your drivers, Mm. we're going to lower the risk level at which you operate. In other words, we're happy to have anyone move up to a level where you can operate at BFM or AFM or work out a scheme that suits you. But if you don't want to participate in that, we're going to take some of the risk out of what you're currently doing. That was how I saw it. Look, there's a certain amount of logic in what you say. To a point, I agree with it. I think that in some respects, the bar does need to be lifted. But I'm not convinced it's in the fatigue area, mate. I'm more convinced it's in the licensing and the registration and the engineering of vehicles and all that sort of thing. That's where I think the thing should change. Oh, absolutely. I think it'll be a rather blunt instrument to try it through fatigue. Yeah. The problem is we've discussed rates. It got knocked back. The government doesn't want to get involved. Yeah. Big business, the corporations aren't interested. You know, the logistics council, they don't want to bar of it. We've looked at operator licensing. We've looked at all these areas where we'd like to get everyone on board to raise the standard. Because at the moment, you can literally show up with a checkbook, a line of credit, buy trucks, employ drivers, and slowly go broke for eight to 10 years, yeah. lowering the rates that the customers expect, dragging everyone down with you till you quit out of the game and leave. Yep. And there's nothing in there to stop that happening. And that, it's just a revolving cycle. And it's either people who have no idea what they're doing or try and cut corners to make a profit doing it the wrong way, I think is harming all of us just think that this was one way they thought they could probably try and get more people into accreditation Hmm. and more people under the umbrella where they're actually actively being managed. Well, you can sort of say that people are going to actively be managed under accreditation, but I can certainly cite to you several incidents of companies that have had major problems that are accredited with TruckSafe. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And I certainly wouldn't say that any of the accreditation systems, be it TruckSafe, NHVR, any of those is perfect. Yep. I guess probably the biggest thing with them is that when you do discover major problems, Mm. at least you can identify who's responsible and who was supposed to be doing what. Yeah. We all know that deep down in the heavy vehicle national law, there's all sorts of obligations on truck owners. Yes. The fact is hardly anyone's aware of them and nobody's monitoring them. Oh, 100%, mate. 
So once people start getting down the accreditation path, mm. the government gets very keen on identifying who's responsible for what. Yep. Now, at the moment, that's not really helping any of us because, like you said, we can all list off a whole list of operators who are doing completely the wrong thing and most of their trucks have got some form of accreditation over them. Yep. So I wouldn't say that the scheme's effectively working to try and raise the standard, but I guess you could say being within a framework we can improve is better than not being in any framework at all. You're not going to get an argument out of me over that. But I honestly think that sometimes, why don't they talk to people like you, like me, like Rod, like Trevor, like any one of 150 other blokes that I can just rattle off? Jerry Brown Saar, Jeff Sullivan, all these guys that have been around for years. I think every single one of us would know every possible way that you could cut a corner and avoid liability or avoid responsibility or whatever. And I'm sure we all want to see things better. Absolutely. No one wants to see it go downhill. But at the end of the day, we have to get a proper rate for the work done. We've got to get rid of the idiots. We really do. And having been an owner of a truck myself, I have been on the receiving end of blokes undercutting me by stupid amounts of money to get a job. And blokes that you know were turning the wheels for no profit that basically f***ed up for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the problem is we need to find a way that we can all help that happen. Yeah. I think a lot of us are just frustrated because we've been trying for so long to get this to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I don't doubt that there's some pushback from higher up the tree. There's no doubt that it suits big business to have this discount freight system running around <laughs> where we take all the risk. Yeah. You know, we're the ones in debt up to our ears with the trucks. We're the ones paying thousands of dollars a week in tolls. We're the ones yep. at the end of it when it all goes wrong. Mm. And they're the ones who get a cheap rate on every invoice for a truckload of stuff that leaves the gate. Yeah. We need to find a way to make sure that the owners of this freight are somehow accountable to make sure that their stuff is moved efficiently, effectively and safely. Yeah. And we're not there. There's a big gap between what we need and what we've got yeah. and every time we get close it seems to fall over you know there was all sorts of problems with the rsrt mm. but it was also something we needed mm. i came out and spoke against it so did i because it was so misdirected yep. but the problem was when we lost it we ended up with nothing that's right and that's what happens without putting too fine a point on it the liberal party got to all over the whole deal and make everyone smile and be happy but at the end of the day, it was the blokes like you, with, you know, the small fleet owners that basically ended up with the rough end of the stick yet again. And then as I've said, time after time, after people call me a broken record because I say it's all about the motivations, but it is. Of course it is. Coles and Woolies and all the big box people, they want to get their freight moved as cheap as they possibly can. At the end of the day, it's the bottom line. They want to make as much money for their shareholders as possible. Yeah, and there's no one to hold them to account because of the unequal power in the relationship. That's right. We're all subservient to what they do because we all rely on the work. That's right. And they get to call the shots and run it whichever way they like. You know, they can make you jump through 800 hoops to get through the gatehouse to sign a million things to say that you're compliant. Yep. Make you have medical procedures in the car park, whatever they feel like. Yeah. Make you declare you've got three hours available. Yep. But there's no one checking at the back end to make sure you weren't held on site without pay five hours. Yeah, and when you bark about it, you're the one with a bad attitude. Well, or the one who doesn't get loaded next week. That's right, and that happens. I've had that happen to me. There's a reason why I don't own trucks anymore, mate. <laughs> you want to buy a few? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm cured, mate. I'm, I'm cured. I, I, uh, I found out what the problem was. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us have. It's just that they're a little hard to untangle. <laughs> oh, mate, I'll tell you what, it's not got any better, has it? It's tough, especially when you're trying to do the right thing by your drivers and your family and everything else, you know? Yeah. It's a big responsibility and it's a tricky game we play. That's right. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
I've done a bit of work with some submissions and things now, and I've sort of sort of get a little bit more politically active, I suppose, because I've decided that there are some things that do need to change. Now, whether I'm right or wrong, I'm prepared to have that discussion with anybody. But I find myself a lot closer to Glenn Stirl's position with his inquiry and the findings from his inquiry, which I've got to talk to him about. Yes. And his plans for down the track. And from a transport point of view, if we end up with Glenn Searle in a transport portfolio, we would be better off because there's a man who actually talks the talk and walks the walk. I don't think anyone could really question that. Even if most of the findings of that inquiry were put in place, we'd all be a lot better off, but none of us are going to be holding our breath. No. Because he's got to get into government before he can do much because we know the current government's not going to support any of them. No, I know. I've had that discussion, yeah. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to push with the NRFA. Like we've currently got a survey out hmm. where we're trying to get guys to input their details into the survey with how long they're being held up at DCs. Yes. Now, a lot of guys are balking at it because it requires their name. Hmm. Now, look, we're going to remove the name before any of this data is presented, but without data, it's a hollow argument. Yeah. But if we don't collect the names with it, there's no reason to say I didn't spend all day today lodging these submissions with dodgy numbers on them. Oh. So in order for the petition to be held and to be useful to us, we need to have the information on it. Yeah. But then we choose what we share with the authorities. But at the moment, we go to them and say, we're held up forever. Mm. None of us are getting paid. It's blowing up our logbook. Yep. And we just want some data behind. So the NRFA has put that forward. We just really like more people to join an association because without the numbers, it gets hard to get a voice. Mm. And with blokes like Rod Hannafy, who've done nothing but work towards this stuff, and Trevor and Glenn, and these guys are putting all the effort into it. Yep. The more people that can add their voice to it, I think the more impact that we're going to have when we are sitting down and talking to the government bodies, to the regulatory authorities. You know, we're, we're just trying to make a difference. None of the guys are getting paid to do this. We're trying to do it because we all have a passion for the industry. Yep. And we all know that we're a long way off where we need to be. And we're just trying to make it better. Well, there is no one with more credibility in the safety and improvement of the industry than Rod Hannafy. Absolutely. And to be perfectly blunt, the reason why I chose to join the National Road Freighters Association is because of the respect that I have for the people that are part of the organisation. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you that when we sit down and have a board meeting, mm. more often than not, half of us are participating in the meeting from a truck. Well, that's the most important thing. Now, I don't know that there's many associations that can claim that. So we're, we're raising an issue saying this road's cactus or this DC or there's no parking in Sydney. That's no, because we're probably double parked in Sydney trying to find somewhere to park where we're not going to get knocked off by Ranger mm. or where we might actually have some facilities. Yeah. You know, we're living with these things every day like the rest of the guys and girls out on the road, and we're just trying to improve it on behalf of everyone. Yeah. At no point am I going to argue about any of this, mate. Now, the reality of it is that there is a certain amount of things that need to change. I've written a fair bit about electronic work diaries, and, and I was really, really, really dead set against them. Yes. When I first started with the whole bit of research and the experience, but I've been working with them for a few years now. And to be perfectly frank, after the minor adjustment that you've got to make to the fact that you, know, you might not be able to go to your favourite roadhouse for a cup of coffee, you may not be able to waste half an hour talking rubbish with your mate, it does end a lot of arguments. You, you know, When your allocator rings you up and says, I want you to go and load this and go there and do that, and you can say, well, have a look at the computer screen, mate. I don't have the hours. Yep. And that is the end of the discussion. It is. I've got my drivers are all on electronic work diaries. I've been on it since December last year when they first came out. And there's been bugs, there's been hiccups. Mm. But I can get a message from a driver going, Hey, my diary's telling me this. Mm. I can log on at the back end, look at it, and go, Right, oh, well, this is what's happened. This is what we need to do. And again, once you get a customer say, We need this, it's simply, Look, our guys are running electronic work diaries. They can't do that. They're off for their seven-hour break. You can unload it now or you can unload it when we finish. Yeah. It takes all of that out. Yeah. I consider that a benefit. Oh, so do I, 100%. The problem that you got, the objection that you get with guys saying, oh, well, you know, it's like a camera in the cab. If you get pulled up and you've got to show the copy or the TMR guy or the Big Roads or RMS guy your logbook, the damage is there. It says what you've done. Yes. It's a double-edged sword. Well, it can be, but it depends on the system you're using too, Mike. Right? The system we're using, it is not connected to the truck in any way. It's basically an electronic version of what you'd write in your book. So it only knows what you tell it. So effectively, when you get pulled over and you present the compliance screen, hmm. it will just simply say the driver is compliant and the investigation aid will be empty. 
Now, from experience, I can say that's where your roadside interaction finishes. That's right. As soon as they see that the investigation aid's empty, yeah. you're on your way because there's nothing more. They're not going to be able to look back through pages to look for a missed signature or anything like that. Yeah. And I find that we're getting less interaction roadside than when we've got a paper book because you don't sit there while they go back looking for all those administration errors that they love finding you for. And because it's not linked to the ignition of the truck, you know, the guys are often worried and said, oh, you know, what if I've got to move the truck so a bloke can get out of the roadhouse? Or yeah. what if I want to move because I had to pull up a kilometre down the road from the roadhouse because there was no parking, but then I wanted to go back to the roadhouse for breakfast. I don't want to have to start my book. Yeah. Well, there's flexibility in the system for that to work. Yeah, no, I agree. Yep. So I, I think there's benefits. Look, a lot of blokes are not going to go near it, but I think if you look at it with an open mind and you give it a try, mm. I don't think it's any worse than a paper book, really. And I actually enjoy the flexibility of being able to have minute-by-minute minute breaks. Yeah. You know, you can have a 40-minute and a 20-minute. You can have a 43 and a 17. As long as you hit 15 minutes, it qualifies as a break. That is really the other main issue. You don't have all that wasted time. Yes. Rounding up, rounding down, the whole lot. It does make life a lot easier. But I mean, speaking from experience, I know coming down and get the arrow in at Maroolan and you rock in there and you know your book's right, you know your weight's right because of what I was carting at the time. Yep. You know, every load was weighed, we knew everything was right, and knew the truck was right, I'm working for a great company. Shout out to JJ, how are you, mate? Rolling on the pad there and you look at them and say good day and they'd look at you and half the time they didn't even bother looking at you, you know, because they knew what you were doing. Absolutely. And, you know, you were rolled in because you got a tough bounce on the steer or something, you know? Yeah. But there's no stress. It just takes all the stress out of your life driving and, and to me that's priceless, that is. And it saved me a few times too because you get the warning, you know, you'd be driving along there listening to a podcast or a story or some music. Oh, yeah. And the phone will light up and it'll say 45 minutes to your next break. And you go oh. back to reality, look around. Oh, yeah, okay. Whereas with a paper book, especially when you've left before your 10 hours are up, yeah. you leave town, you're trying to get out of Sydney. So you just started to make a mile and Beresfield's a bit full. So you, yeah. you kind of think, oh, well, I'll just mosey on up the road a bit. But it's very easy to overlap your 24-hour period. Mm. And having something like that poke up and go, hang on a minute, you've got another half hour to finish off your last 24-hour period yet. Yeah. It just helps with that, you know, like gives you a bit of a reminder if you're concentrating on other things. And once the damage is done, the damage is done. You roll under the camera and you're half an hour out and it's all over for you. It's a bit late to change once you've been under the safety cam. Yeah. And not that I'm advocating people doing the wrong thing either. Don't take that message away from what I'm saying. No, no, no not at all. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to the listeners. I'm not. <laughs> well, see, look, we all live in a very grey world. It's not all black and white. We just have to do our best to stay within the lines best we can. Yeah, well, that's the hard part sometimes, isn't it? Yes. Look, Mark, it's been great to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I would recommend to people that they do have a look at the National Road Freighters Association. I can't remember what the membership for. It's about 100 bucks, something like that, isn't it, for 12 months? Yeah, I think it is, yep. And you get some pens and some rulers and all that sort of stuff. But more than that you get the backing of an association that understands what you're on about, and that's what impressed me about it. Well, we're pleased that you're on board with us, Mike. <laughs> oh, don't get me in a board meeting, mate. You'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for talking with us, Mark. You take care of yourself and take it easy on the road, mate. Thank you, mate. Bye. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcast every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au, and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you're interested in or something that you may need, Please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. Hi, it's Guy. I listen to On The Road on the Oz Big Rig Road Show. Dr. Vincent Ho, the consultant gastroenterologist from Sydney, promised to come back and talk about gastroscopy with me on the back of what we spoke about the other day with colonoscopes. We praise the colorectal surgeon, misunderstood and much maligned, slaving away in the heart of darkness, working where the sun don't shine. 
respect the colorectal surgeon It's a calling few would crave Lift up your hands and join us Let's all do the finger wave When it comes to spreading joy There are many techniques Some spread joy to the world And others just spread cheeks Some may think the cardiologist Is their best friend but the colorectal surgeon knows he'll get you in the end. Why be a colorectal surgeon? It's one of those mysterious things. Is it because in that profession there are always openings? Respect the colorectal surgeon Here and now we'll raise a glass For the rectal surgeon Like the rectum can tell A liquid from a gas We praise the colorectal surgeon Misunderstood and much maligned Slaving away in the heart of darkness Working where the sun don't shine So Vincent, welcome back to the show Ah, thank you, Mike. Gastroscopy, mate. What are we going to talk about there? Yes, love to talk about gastroscopies. Yeah. Gastroscopies, basically that involves an instrument, Mike, called an endoscope. Yes. So this endoscope, what it is, it's a long, thin, flexible tube. It's got a small camera and a light attached and allows the doctor to navigate the inside of the upper gut. So images are going to be seen on a video screen. Now, the scope itself is about as thick as your pinky finger, mm -hmm. and it's able to bend to allow the doctor to navigate the gut. Now, specifically, what we're looking at is the inside of the esophagus, the food pipe, the stomach, and also the duodenum, which is the first part of the small bowel. Right. And this test is really helpful because it can look for different disease conditions. And I've got to say also that the endoscope itself is a procedure that doesn't take all that long usually about 10 to 15 minutes, but sometimes it can take a little longer if we're using it for treatment of, for example, a bleeding peptic ulcer. Right. Once again, it's like the colonoscopy, it's a day procedure, isn't it? So you'll go into hospital in the morning, have your procedure in the morning or the afternoon, and after the end of it, after your little light anaesthetic, you'll go home and have the rest of the day off work, and you should be right to go back to work the day after. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. So a gastroscopy is a day procedure, and as you mentioned, the sedation is given by a drip, which is inserted into a vein, your hand or forearm. You won't remember anything that occurs during the procedure itself. And anesthesia is generally very safe. But I've got to say that every anesthetic does have a risk of side effects and complications. Usually these are temporary, but it does depend upon your general health and fitness. Right. So why are we going to do a gastroscopy, Vincent? There are a number of reasons why a gastroscopy is done. One reason is it can look for conditions such as peptic ulcers. So these are ulcers that can be present in your stomach or small bowel, and they can be a reason for why people can get a lot of pain in the upper abdominal region. So it often can cause significant pain and sometimes can cause bleeding as well. Another reason why a gastroscopy is often carried out is if there's a swallowing problem. So if there's a swallowing problem, looking down and seeing if there's a blockage in the esophagus, some sort of ring or what we call a stricture, which is a narrowing of the esophagus can be useful. Sometimes it can be useful to look for reflux damage. So if someone's got a history of reflux, particularly over a long period of time, or the symptoms are very severe, then that's a good reason to a gastroscopy to have a look for any reflux-related problems. And of course, another important reason is to look for concerning conditions such as stomach cancer or esophagus cancer. These are rather insidious conditions. And what I mean by that is that these conditions can be growing inside somebody and they can present sometimes quite late with significant weight loss and inability to swallow food. So looking for those conditions can be really important in helping to better manage the patient and offer a good course of treatment. Right. So once again, just simply the matter of passing the tube down through your mouth, down through the esophagus, into the stomach, and having a bit of a look around, you can look everywhere with a little light and everything and see any ulcers or anything in there that might concern you. Is it just a diagnostic tool or is it a treatment tool as well? It can be a treatment tool as well. One of the things that we can do at the time of a gastroscopy is 
we can actually put down a little balloon to inflate a part of the esophagus, for example, or even a part of the stomach. So that's a procedure called a balloon stretch or balloon dilatation is a term so that often can actually help to open up these narrowings or blockages in the esophagus. Another thing that we can do at the time of a gastroscopy is go down and we can use a little probe to cauterize or basically burn off an ulcer. So it's a good way to treat a bleeding ulcer. Hmm. We can sometimes eject a little bit of adrenaline around a bleeding ulcer as well and stop that. So there are definitely treatments that can be done at the time of a gastroscopy. Right. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors. If you need signage or graphics for your truck, trailer, van, boat, equipment or business, the Sticker Shed is the fast and cost-efficient large-format digital print and vinyl cut graphic business that can meet all your needs. They specialise in signs, graphics, decals, stickers, banners, one-way window signage and even large-scale canvas prints. Don't be fooled by the name, the Sticker Shed has a fully mobile production facility which means they can manufacture your signage or graphics on the spot. Even if they're not in your area, they can still custom make your signs, stickers and graphics and ship them to you. For more information or to obtain a quote, send an email to brett at thestickershed.com.au, visit the Sticker Shed Facebook page or call Brett on 0412 105 151. The Sticker Shed, their business is making your business look great. So when you go in and you have your gastroscopy, it's just a matter of, obviously, as we said, going in and having it as a day procedure. Absolutely. I mean, it is a day procedure the majority of the time. If, of course, there is a more serious condition, such as a bleeding ulcer, then a gastroscopy is often done in hospital as an inpatient procedure. Mm. So in that sort of situation where, for example, there's a lot of blood loss, uh, we need to stabilize, then getting them admitted to hospital and making sure they're appropriately resuscitated before the procedure is really important. But generally, it is an outpatient procedure. Right. So a gastroscopy can sometimes be paired up with a colonoscopy and you have the big double bunger. That's not a lot of fun, but it is something that can be done, isn't it? It's certainly something that can be done. And we would often do that for conditions, for example, if someone had a low blood count, in other words, they were anemic or low iron levels, or even if they had a whole bunch of symptoms, gut symptoms that were unexplained, mm. for example, like bloating or abdominal pain that's unexplained, then doing both a gastroscopy and colonoscopy at the same time can be very helpful. We've got all the attendant frequently asked questions. What are the most common questions that patients ask you about the procedure? Well, one of the most common questions that's asked is about the risks or complications associated with a gastroscopy. Now, I will tell people that about one in a thousand people will experience some bleeding from either the esophagus, stomach, and small bowel when we're treating like a bleeding cause such as an ulcer or if we're removing a polyp. So the bleeding is usually minor and that can be stopped usually at the time of gastroscopy. It's only very rarely that we require any surgery to stop the bleeding, but it may be required in the case of a very large bleeding ulcer that is proving very difficult to treat. Mm. Another complication is called a hole or a perforation, and that can happen in the esophagus, stomach, or the small bowel. That risk is very low, about one in every 5,000 people. If it happens, then there can be leak of stomach contents into the abdomen that may require surgery. Other types of complications that can occur occasionally, it's not very common, but occasionally there can be some irritation to the teeth as the gastroscope is going down through the mouth, but it's pretty infrequent that that occurs. And of course, there can be the complications, the sedation that's given at the time of the gastroscopy. So that medication itself, which makes you sleepy, that can cause an allergic reaction, for example. And there can be other complications related to sedation, such as making someone more sleepy than usual. Those sorts of complications are usually handled very well by a specialist anesthetist. So that's someone who is specialized in overseeing the administration of the anesthetic. Yeah. Now the most common question I've got to ask in the anesthetic waiting room? No. <laughs> Love to hear this. How am I going to breathe? <laughs> A really good one, though. <laughs> it's actually a good question. I will say that the endoscope itself, 
by itself doesn't actually cause problems with breathing as such. Mm. The reason I say that, Mike, is because the good thing about the gas scope is it's passed through a specific mouth guard directly into the esophagus itself. Yeah. And that means that the airways is not blocked by the camera. Mm. We're not going down the airways. We're going down the food pipe. Yeah, that's right. That's important. And if there's any concerns about breathing, the anesthetic doctor will oversee it all. They'll keep an eye on how much oxygen is present in your blood at that point in time. And they'll make sure that there is adequate oxygen that's given to really boost those oxygen levels to a good level. Yes, it's not really a problem, is it? It's just one of those perception things. You know, I'm going to have this in my mouth. How am I going to breathe? And <laughs> if that was the most common question I was ever asked. How am I going to breathe? Yeah. Vincent, thanks for coming back on the show and talking to us about gastroscopy. I do appreciate Once again, for the listeners, gutdoctor.com has got all the information. There's a whole lot of fun stuff there for the kids. There's the Healthy Baby Gut Book. or what, What's that called? I keep getting that wrong. The Healthy Baby Gut Guide. The Healthy Baby <laughs> Gut Guide. That's the one. And there's all sorts of information on gutdoctor.com, which is great for kids. Tells them how things work, how the poo gets made and all that sort of stuff. Vincent, thanks so much for lending us some of your day, mate. I really do appreciate it. Next time I've got some listener questions, I'll get back to you. Thanks so much, Mike, for having me on the show. Vincent, you have a great day, mate. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Mike. Slaving away in the heart of darkness, working where the sun don't shine. This is Adam Gibson from NTI, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. It's time for Wake the Truck Up with Ben Charles, the truckies tax accounting specialist. Thanks, Andy and Mike. I'm Benjamin Charles from Truckies Tax Accountants, and I'm here every week to help hardworking Aussie truckies wake the truck up. We want to help you increase your refunds from future tax returns and to recover unclaimed refunds from returns you've lodged. Last week, we talked about car expenses, how to make sure you're eligible and how to claim them. Be sure to listen. Week before that, how to keep your records perfectly and all your receipts using the free and easy method. Absolutely critical, especially for our topic today, which is your meals. It's going to be the largest claim for line haul drivers or long haul overnight interstate and it's going to be a major expense for local drivers over time meal expense. So it's very important that you understand the rules that relate to meals. When it comes to line haul driving or overnights, you're allowed to claim up to 105.75 per day. If you typically work six days a week, 50 weeks a year, and you're spending about $100 a day, that's a $30,000 claim, easily your biggest claim. So make sure you've got yourself organized and you're claiming every chupa chup, coffee, cheeseburger and cow you have on the road and you're paying for everything with a tax mother trucker card and photographing it as per our advice. When you're working locally, you still get to claim, but you don't get to claim all your meals as you do when you're traveling. You get to claim your overtime meals. Under the short haul award, your employer should be paying you an allowance, maybe called meals, overtime meals, tea money, bag money, but whatever it is, your expense is whatever you spend, and you can claim that up to thirty-one twenty-five without receipts or whatever you spend with receipts. And to accommodate the possibility things might change, I would advise that you keep receipts even now, even if you spend less than thirty-one twenty-five. So like travel, it's going to be a big claim around about the $9,000 to $10,000 mark. Okay, so be sure to keep your receipts for both overtime meal expenses when you're working locally and all your expenses when you're working on the road doing overnights. So as I've mentioned in previous discussions, it's very important that we hear from you and we welcome your contact at ontheroadpodcast.com.au or call us 24 hours a day, seven days a week on one 5151 You can also call the ATO to verify everything we tell you here or that you're told by anybody on one 861 
or go to ato.gov.au. It's very important that you wake the truck up. It's free to listen here. It's free to learn. It's free to implement our ideas. And it's free to call 1300-5111 to ask any questions. Next week, I'll be starting to talk to you about all the other expenses. But this week and the previous week were car and meals, which by far are the biggest claim for Aussie truckies. So be sure to listen to those. Okay. Until next week, or your booking, I'm Benjamin Charles, Truckies Tax Accountant. Keep it safe out there. Soon as I get paid. G'day guys, it's Tone from Tone's Trucking Stories here and TruckWiz. And you can now listen to the On The Road podcast on the Australian Big Rig Road Show via the TruckWiz app. Download it from the App Store right now. On The Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you, mate? Mate, not brilliant. I've actually got a pounding headache. Had one for the last few days. Awesome. Yeah, well, the bride was helping me make repairs to her back fence, which had seen better days. Not again. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yep. She was helpful and she really wanted to be useful, so when it came time to drive in the last star picket, I handed her the big hammer right. and held the star picket in place in the right yep. spot and said to her, when I nod my head, hit it okay, and I don't remember much after that. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to the bit of the tontine therapy that you deserve. Yeah, never give a woman a lump hammer unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> oh, otherwise you'll end up with a lump, you reckon. <laughs> Indeed. Made a mixed week of news it's been in general. That's incredible news about little Chloe Smith found alive and well in WA. That's brilliant. I'll tell you what, there's a hell of a lot of questions there that need a hell of a lot of answers, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not over yet. I've obviously heard about a lot of the stuff that's going on there. I'll tell you what, man. Mm. Just grab the popcorn, I think. But uh, Oh, I think so. I would have run a book that that kid wouldn't have been found alive. And yeah, I think most people would. I know that that sounds harsh, you know, but mm. the pragmatist in me sort of says, you know, it probably wouldn't have been the way it would go. So, I mean, that only begs more questions. So let's wait and see what goes on. But I'm so pleased for the mum that they've got the little girl back. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I hope the press leave them alone. They've had enough, you know. Oh, Absolutely. And good to see that she was A, well, and B, smiling too. That was good to see. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, and sad news as well, mate, with the passing of Aussie television icon Moonface, Bert Newton. Oh, Bert. Yeah. I was just not surprised because, you know, everyone does go that way eventually. We've all got to go. But old Bert's sort of been around forever. I remember him, you know, on TV when I was a kid and mum and dad used to watch Don Lane and all that sort of stuff. And Yeah, Graham Kennedy. Well, yeah, Graham Kennedy in particular and watching Bert and old mate Muhammad Ali where he called him Roy or something. Oh, no, he said, I like the boy. I like the boy. Yeah. Let's just say that to someone with a short fuse. <laughs> <laughs> and big fists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Bert laughed it off and ultimately Muhammad got the joke, I suppose, and Clash of Cultures at the podium at... Uh, On the Logies, yeah. Not live TV, it would have been too then. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway. Rest in peace, old mate. Yep, rest in peace, Bert. Rolling in, mate. The NHVR has released its strategic directions document, which calls for the delivery of truly borderless operations and increased flexibility for safe operators. Yeah, mm. and, and it, that's the point where I go, yeah, yeah, right, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds good, though. It does sound good. Sounds lovely. Mm. NHVR Chair Duncan Gay said the release of the regulator's long-term strategy, first released in 2016, that'll tell you how long they've been working on it, mm. has come at a critical time for the industry as the regulator pursues ambitious, relevant industry reform in the heavy vehicle national law currently under the spotlight. Yeah. Well, yep, yeah, okay, great. I suppose the most important part about this is that the reappointed board, mm. so we've We've got all the same people there that are really going to be doing a few of the same things. The reappointment of Ken and Robin at this critical time for industry will enable continuity in pursuing the opportunities ahead of us. And they can pursue opportunities all they like. I'm really quite critical of the NHVR sometimes. They've got a, a strategy direction which will be reviewed in another five years following the completion of the transition of services. Okay, just another example of people that don't drive trucks telling us what to do. Yeah. 
Mate, with strong industry support for a heavy vehicle driver apprenticeship concept, the industry reference committee overseeing the proposal has given the concept its official tick of approval. And look, why wouldn't they? It's been a long time uh, coming, something like this. There have been companies that have tried to do an apprenticeship style of a program. All this is all lovely. Paul Walsh from the Australian Industry Standards says he's encouraged by the high level of support and all this. There is going to be a high level of support. We've got real issues in the industry at the moment with recruitment and retention and training. Mm. And these things have all got to be addressed. But here's the problem, and it's a human problem. Yep. It's always existed. And no matter what programs they put in place, unless they make some fairly stringent rules, and we all know how Aussies just love rules, mm. it won't change. What will happen is you get people who train drivers. They get them to come in. You give that bloke the old truck down the back of the yard and you take all the insurance risks and you pay for all of his newbie mistakes, right? Mm. Get him into the fleet, work him to the point where he actually knows what he's doing, him or her. Mm. And then stuff me someone with a new shiny banger down the road with a bit more bling on it or another cent a kilometre will steal this bloke away after you've put all the money, all the time, all the effort, all the pain, and they move on. And that stops people, like small fleet owners, putting on people in the first place. They say, why should I waste my time and my money training this bloke when they know that as soon as someone down the road offers them a lovely set of Durabite wheels and some bloody Nilex bloody hubcaps or whatever... Mm. or something that's got a little bit of cloth stainless on it. Or a flash steering wheel and gear shift knob. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but I mean, this is the reality of it. While I think, yeah, it's all great, let's, let's have the issues included, you know, transition arrangements for the traineeship so you can move from place to place or whatever. Mm. Nominal terms of the apprenticeship. Let's formalise all of it. But also let's formalise into it a little bit of payback yeah. so that the bloke that actually spends the money and takes the time at least gets some of the benefit out of it. I think they call it return on investment, don't they? They do. Well, I mean, the military do it. Hmm. If they send you to Duntroon or the Australian Military College, they expect you to sign on and spend a little bit of time giving a bit of payback. And I don't think that that's an unreasonable thing. If you want training, then you want someone else to pay for it. You've got to pay it back. And unfortunately, that's not the way it seems to go. Part of a contract. It is a significant step, and I'm not poo-pooing it at all. What I'm saying is that there is the human problem. The human problem has always existed and it will continue to exist. But driver retention, driver recruitment, driver training are probably three of the biggest issues in transport at the moment and these things keep getting swept under the carpet. You want to know what one of the biggest things about driver recruitment and retention is? Tell me. Paying them properly. Hmm. Valuing them properly. Just now, people are starting to realise that one of the biggest assets, they'll, they'll mouth the words, they'll say, oh, you know, our biggest assets are our drivers. Yep. And then expect them to sit at Coles or Woolies or whatever for five hours waiting to unload. Yeah. For free. Yep. But they value their drivers. Yeah. Well, mate, it's not just in this industry. It's right across the, the board for workers. You know, if I had a dollar for the times when I've left a job and they've responded with, well, how much more do we have to pay you for you to stay? Yeah. It's like, well, perhaps you should have thought of that earlier. Yeah. People don't leave jobs, mate. They leave management. Yeah, it's true. Mate, the North West Highway Patrol joined forces this week with TFNSW heavy vehicle inspectors in central west New South Wales following a number of serious heavy vehicle accidents, including two fatalities. Yeah, they should be. Here's the thing, though. The police are out there all the time. Hmm. They're out there doing their job all the time. And there's discussions about whether the police should be enforcing heavy vehicle national law in the first place. But anyway, Hmm. this is just typical knee-jerk policing. Now, I'm not saying it's not necessary. I'm not saying they're not catching bad guys, but it's knee-jerk policing. It's just the same as if your truck is involved in a serious accident, expect a visit at your yard in a day or so. It's just what happens. Hmm. So from October 25 to 29, Operation Convoy stopped more than 150 heavy vehicles. Of those 150, they detected one speeding, there were six load restraint offences, 27 fatigue hours offences, 97 work diary offences, and six critical or severe fatigue breaches. The good part of the story is that they conducted 156 drug tests and there were no positive test results, so that's one good thing. Oh, clear. Yeah. They, you know, they got another 50 offences detected by light vehicle drivers. And you know, this is to make us feel a little bit better. They got three positive drug tests and eight charges were laid for driving while disqualified. Hmm. The police have a bastard of a job. I wouldn't want to do their job. But the reality of it is, as I've said time and time and time again, I'm a broken record. It's all about the motivations. What's happened out there is the public have seen there's been a few heavy vehicle accidents. A few people have lost their lives on the road. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. It's a bad thing. Mm. But the police need to get out there and be seen to be doing the job. And that's what this is all about. 
mm. on the other side, but Trevor and I had a chat not long ago about work diaries, electronic work diaries. Yeah. In this little operation here is the very reason why people should really start seriously consider running electronic work diaries. Yep. All the offences on this, fatigue hours, 27 offences, work diary offences, 97. Critical severe fatigue breaches, 6. All of those things could be avoided by people who are using their diaries properly. You can bet your bum that these fatigue hours offences, 27 of those, are someone that's out by 15 minutes here or there. Yeah. Right, because they've made a head mistake or something like that when they've been trying to work it out at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know? Which happens, yeah. Which which does happen. Mm. A work diary offence is 97. I would bet money there would be at least 10 of those would be someone who hasn't filled out their home base information. Mm. They're making it sound like these cowboy truck drivers are out there doing the whole thing. It's, oh, you know, we stopped 150 trucks and look, we've got 120 offences, you know? Mm. How many of those offences are in the same logbook? Yeah, exactly. Look, I appreciate what the police are doing. I appreciate the motivation to get out there and show the public that they're trying to enforce the law and that's their role. Mm. But for God's sake, you know, it's about time we started to understand that this is what the police are out there doing every day, Operation Convoy. Yep. 10-4 rubber ducky. Yep. Start treating the disease and not so much the symptoms. Exactly right. Yeah. I'm getting more wound up as the day goes on, mate. Not at all like you, Mike. <laughs> He said with his tongue so far in his cheek, he was licking his ear. <laughs> Mate, state and federal governments are being called on to fund a program for small to medium enterprises to purchase rapid antigen tests for their staff. The call has come from an alliance of peak transport bodies and unions. Indeed. Now, this is probably one of those things where there's two sides to this story too. I mean, At least two. At least two. Mm. You've got to say, how much more effort are we going to focus on this thing? Mm. It's been nearly two years. Isn't it time to call it a day? Mm. <coughs> Cough. I, got my, I, <coughs> I need a rapid antigen test. <laughs> that was timely. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't even being sarcastic. Mm. Yeah, I think we carry on about all this community transmission of COVID-19 and all the rest of it. There's community transmission of all sorts of things. But anyway, look, for whatever reason, work health and safety, everyone's going to ride this horse. There are some people that are very happy for it exactly the way it is. Yep. You and I both know this to be true. Yep, yep. The rapid antigen tests are probably a good idea to the point where it stops you getting the brain tingler things up your nose so many times. There's people around now that have had more nasal swabs than you can poke a stick at. Yep. They're not designed to be used two to three times a week on the same people. Yep. So rapid antigen testing, none of this stuff comes for free. None of it. If they want us to keep doing the tests, then I can see we can't really afford to be at the back of the queue when it comes to all this sort of stuff. These tests are available in Australia on a cost-for-use basis. They're probably not too bad, but some of the companies just can't afford to sustain them at the level that the idiots who can't understand how many times you need to be tested for the one thing. Mm. I mean, why do we test people with no symptoms? for something? That used to be called hypochondria. Yep. If you needed to go to the doctor for something you thought you may have every week, you were called a hypochondriac, weren't you? Absolutely. People are too scared to even sneeze in public these days. Hmm. It's absolutely got to the point where it's just beyond a joke. It is. But this is all supported by the Council of Small Business Organisations, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, Pathology Technology Australia, Transport Workers Union, Road Freight New South Wales, Western Freight Federation, Victorian Transport Association, the Australian Road Transport Industrial Organisation, the New South Wales Australian Road Transport Industrial Organisation and the Queensland Trucking Association. And I agree with each and every single one of them. These things need to be available they need to be accepted at the borders. So to make life sensible, you can't have people sitting at the borders. Do you know that we've had over 800 drivers in Queensland alone who have changed jobs and said, that's it, we're not going across the borders? Yep. 4,000 nurses and other healthcare staff stood down the other day in Queensland. Know all about that one. 3,000 nurses and other staff stood down in South Australia. I don't have the numbers for New South Wales and Victoria at the moment. They're going to be up there then. My brother works in Tasmania as a driver. They've had no cases there forever. Mm. And the state's still locked down. Yep. You know, it's just got to the point where it's ridiculous. Over here in Western Australia, you can't fly into here out of Victoria or New South Wales. You're unclean. Yep. The thing that disturbs me is that we've got people now, truck drivers, healthcare staff, frontline workers who have been running around the whole time who have been doing this stuff. And we're heroes. We're heroes last year when we're working through without being vaccinated. And now we're unclean. Yep. These rapid antigen testing things have to happen, in my opinion, just to shut people up. As you would say, don't get me started. There is that much misinformation around. 
we had that chat ages ago about you know where the real information comes from. I don't think anyone knows anymore. No. Well, truth is such a flexible thing these days. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. Good news story to finish up with, mate. Yeah, mate. Senator Glenn Stirl often rates a mention on our podcast, and for very good reason, given his campaigning for better conditions for truckies right around the country. Yep. In news just in, it seems he's had another win after he showed in after he showed in a photo on his Facebook page the terrible conditions of the truckies shower at a service station in North Queensland. Yep. Within 24 hours, to their credit, yeah. the owners responded with a solution to the issue. Yeah. Hmm. Did they just blow it up? <laughs> I don't think so. Did they go in there with a the flamethrower? Have you seen the picture? I have. It's it's not pretty sight. I'd have got in there with a section of infantry and, and some light weapons and flamethrowers and stuff and, you know. I just wouldn't have got in there at all. Roll a white phosphorus grenade in there, mate. That would have sorted it out. Yeah. Glenn's a great bloke and I you know, I talk to him occasionally and we're on the same side of the fence on a lot of issues, you know, we really are, which is one of the things that scares me a little bit as a conservative. Yeah. And I honestly said, and I've said this in public, if Glenn had some sort of a role you know, in a transport portfolio in the next Labor government, and I think that there might be one, I think transport would be better off. Yep. He talks the talk and he walks the walk and you've got to respect him for that. But my question is, why does it take an Australian senator to fix a shower up at Cardwell? Yeah. Surely, two or three complaints. Why could you? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it would have been mentioned to the owners by a few of the drivers, judging by the photo. I wonder how many sets of shower thongs you'd need to go in there. <laughs> Giant condom on each leg. Oh, I'll tell you what, that's horrific. Yeah. Anyway, the Chevron Puma management have addressed the issue finally and they're working to get it rectified quickly and uh, that's a terrific outcome for truck drivers and road users that you use that site. Yeah. Thanks very much, Glenn, but God, why does it take an Australian Senate to fix a bloody shower? Seriously. Yes, well done, Glenn. Thank you. Mate, thought for the week. It's worth remembering that everyone you know who you consider to be old and wise also started off young and stupid, just like the rest of us. (laughs) Well, wisdom is bought by experience and experience is bought by... (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) I know you look up to me in that way, so thank you. I do, mate. I do, I do, I do. I think to myself, I'm not that much farther down the track and I'll be as wise as (laughs) any. God knows, you need to get out more. I do, don't I? All right, buddy. I'm going trucking. (laughs) Go trucking. Have fun. Take it safe. See ya. See ya. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. When they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Most of you would know I share a truck with another driver for the time being. The other night I climbed in and got set up to do my run and I noticed that my cross shift had left his music thing plugged into the stereo. I didn't really worry about it, just left it there. The tunes were okay, so, you know, move on. Driving down the road, this song comes on. I didn't pay too much attention to it. I was, you know, just cruising, looking out the windscreen, just driving like you do. Anyway, I started listening to the lyrics of the song and it got to me and I... I had to play it back and I had to listen to it again and understand the lyrics of the song. You know how sometimes a song speaks to you in that moment or in a moment you're driving along and just hear some lyrics and you think, yeah, something in the lyric gets you on a different level and this one did it for me. I don't know why, it just did. Anyway, the song's called Lullaby and it's by a band called Nickelback. Now, I'm no Nickelback fan and there you go. But this one made me tear up a bit and fair dinkum. 
I'm not a real emotional bloke. Yeah, I can do angry, I can get a point across, I can talk. It really does take a bit to get a tear out of me, but this one managed it. Over the years, I've seen my fair share of death and destruction. I've lost mates on the road through illness and other injury. A good friend of mine took his own life. I really still don't understand why. Anyway, mental health and well-being is a big part of what we do here on the show. It's a big thing for us here on the show. We've had guests from several organisations and we run our regular Are You OK? bit because we believe it's important and we want our listeners to know it's OK to reach out and ask for help. And I suppose that's why this song got to me. A bit of the song goes like this. Please let me take you out of the darkness and into the light because I have faith in you that you're going to make it through another night. Stop thinking about the easy way out. There's no need to go and blow the candle out because you're not done. You're far too young and the best is yet to come. So give it one more try with a lullaby and turn this up on the radio. If you can hear me now, I'm reaching out to you to let you know you're not alone. That's just some of the words out of the song. And that's the bit that bit me. That's the bit that got me. And you're not alone. Any of the groups we've had on our show can help you. They're listed on our webpage. You all know who they are. But if you don't go there, have a look. All the numbers are there. It's a tough life sometimes. It's okay to be not playing your best game. All I ask is give your mates or someone else a chance to help. Even me. I'll always answer my phone. So I want to play the song. Listen or not, that's up to you. Just take care out there. This is Lullaby by Nickelback. our show for this week thanks for coming along for the ride on the road is proudly brought to you by nti australia's leading transport and logistics insurer be sure to join us again next week when mike says absolutely awesome andy says all righty good to go and our guest says i think i embarrassed myself too badly until we catch up with you again next week play nice with each other and most of all stay safe out there bye for now the team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Everybody see at the bottom. Everybody's been-